This is the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I talk about the life of Frederick Bancroft. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is my first ever Magic Detective short episode. It's going to be a little bit shorter than uh, the usual, but I think you'll enjoy it just the same. Last week, I mentioned that episode 18 was going to be about Doug Henning, and I just realized that his birthday is coming up in uh, early May, so I'm going to hold the Doug Henning episode off until then, uh, which is why you're getting this uh, special episode now. Um, But before I get into the podcast, I want to mention a couple things very quickly. I want to mention the Magic Collectors Expo, which happens on June 20th through 22nd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It looks like it's going to be really great fun. Unfortunately, I won't be there. I'll be in the midst of my summer tour at the time. But if you would like to attend or want more information, go to magiccollectorexpo.com. That's magiccollectorexpo.com, and you can find all about uh, this wonderful Magic Collectors Convention. And speaking of Minneapolis, if you happen to go there, uh, would uh, somebody, I don't care who, somebody, try and find the grave of John Randall Brown, because John Randall Brown was one of the early pioneers of mentalism, and he retired in the Minneapolis area, so uh, he should be buried there, I would assume. If you happen to find his grave, please take a picture of it and send it to me so I can put it on my Dead Conjurer's blog. That would be great. Also, our feature today was born in the Twin Cities in 1867. Uh, and so let's go ahead and get right into the podcast today. His name was Frederick Bronson, better known as Frederick Bancroft. He was born into a wealthy family, and like Edwin Brush from episode 17 of the podcast, Bancroft, too, saw Alexander Herman and decided he wanted to become a magician. Not only did he see Herman, but it appears he became a bit of a groupie, or possibly a stalker, following Herman from town to town for a period of time. Bancroft's first foray into magic was under the name De Castro, and it was a disaster. Uh, Probably on the advice of his father, he returned to the Twin Cities. He went to school for dentistry, became a dentist. He also speculated in real estate and made a lot of money. And this burst of wealth caused him to think it was a good idea to try magic again. So he spent $30,000 or what would be about $777,000 today. He spent that kind of money on the most elaborate posters, top-of-the-line posters, top-of-the-line brochures, top-of-the-line draperies, scenery, even hand-carved tables. And almost every mention of Bancroft in uh, the magic periodicals of the day Almost every one of them mentions his elaborate and beautiful stage settings. What he apparently didn't spend his money on, however, were the latest magic effects. Before I get too far into things, though, I want to read a little piece from Mahatma Magazine. And this is about Bancroft. It's probably written by his manager. So it starts like this. It says, A New Star. 
A new magician will be on the road next season with a show that means a new departure in the magic business. Frederick Bancroft, a magician who has had 19 years' experience as an amateur, is putting on a magnificent, spectacular production of magic, which is replete with new ideas and marks a new era in the development of magic as an art. Bancroft has plenty of capital to carry out his decidedly extravagant ideas, and his marvelous skill and fascinating powers of entertainment will be supported by the finest scenery and most beautiful spectacular effects that money can buy, and he will be assisted by a large company of talented specialty artists, including many beautiful women. Everything pertaining to the entertainment is new and original and on the same scale of costliness and artistic excellence. Most of the arrangements have already been completed. Mr. Bancroft's manager is Clarence Fleming, well known for many years as the manager of high-class attractions in this country and in Europe. Mr. Bancroft's bookings are now being completed. He will play only in the best theaters and most of the contracts are already closed. Those that are closed are for a week engagements in the largest cities. And I guarantee that was written by Clarence Fleming. And it sure makes him sound like he's a spectacular magician, even though some of that information is not correct because other magicians pointed out the fact that Bancroft's props were old because he was basically copying Alexander Herman's show. Herman had been around since the Civil War days, uh, you know, was Herman constantly upgrading his show? I doubt it. But Herman had years and years and years and years of stage time, and he had a, an incredible personality. He was exceptionally funny. So he could carry old tricks and make them seem brand new. Bancroft did not have that personality. He didn't have that stage time, so it made it uh, a lot harder for him. Uh, another thing that was a struggle for him. This show he created was a five-part show, and it was all small magic, no illusions. This is a problem. In 1896, by the way, the great Herman, Alexander Herman, died. And Bancroft, being a smarter businessman than he was a magician, hired Herman's agent, E.L. Bloom. Bloom helped to reshape the Bancroft show, and I imagine must have included at least one illusion uh, in this new version of the show. Dr. A.M. Wilson, by the way, in the Sphinx magazine, mentions that Bancroft was the inventor of the Lion's Bride illusion, using black art. And I'd never heard this before. I had assumed it was Lafayette's effect. Sure enough, there's a poster of Bancroft that advertises the Lion's Bride, so it could be that Bancroft was the inventor of that. E.L. Bloom booked Bancroft into a theater in Charleston, South Carolina on September 26, 1897, and Bancroft came down with typhoid fever and died. Much like our friend Morrow, who was featured in Podcast 11, he too died of typhoid fever. If you're wondering what happened to Bancroft's show following his death, it's a very good question. It seems that it was acquired by Henry A. Dixie, who was also managed by Edward Bloom, Bancroft's manager. Dixie would later debut in New York in his new role as a magician. This is around 1897 1898, early 1898. By July of 1898, Mahatma Magazine says, 
Henry Dixie, the comedian who succeeded the late Bancroft as a magician, has given up magic. Alrighty then. Uh, Dorney said of him, Bancroft had one of the most lavishly mounted magical shows on the road, and a very promising career was cut short by his untimely death. By the way, at least one of those hand-carved tables that was in the Bancroft show ended up in the collection of David P. Abbott. It can actually be seen in the book House of Mystery. If you look under the section on the floating ball, you'll see a picture of Abbott sitting at one of the elephant head tables. Now, you've probably heard of or seen, heard and seen, of elephant head tables before, and usually they're just uh, elephant heads painted on wood. Not in the case of Bancroft. His tables are actually carved elephant heads and the trunk goes down and becomes the legs of the table and they are impressive. So my friends, that is the story of Frederick Bancroft. If you'd like to find out more about Bancroft, here's what you can do. The August 2010 edition of Magic Hall Magazine has an article called The Journey to Find Frederick Bancroft by Gary Hunt. Now, I have this magazine somewhere. I just couldn't find it, Uh, which is okay because I wanted to keep this a short podcast anyway. Uh, Eventually, I'll find it and read some amazing stuff, and who knows, maybe something I told you in this podcast was incorrect. My sources, as usual, are uh, the magazines of the day, like the Sphinx and Mahatma, and also um, Magic, uh, A Pictorial History of Conjurers in the Theater by David Price. I looked for Bancroft and other sources, but I I couldn't find them. So, by the way, the contest that I mentioned last uh, in the last episode on episode 17 is still going to continue. Um, I'll probably keep that going until the first week of May. A uh, couple reasons. The main one, I've gotten no entries. <laughs> I think that question has stumped everybody. Which is, you know, happen. Hey, take a guess. Just take a guess, would you? You could be right. Um, it's a tough question, uh, I'll admit. Uh, even I didn't know the answer. The contest will continue until, like I said, first week of May. And I do want to mention something about the podcast as far as liking the podcast. And this was something I was unaware of. Apparently, it's not the easiest thing to like the podcast. I mean, as far as clicking a button and saying you want to like it or this, that, and the other. And here's what I, um, here's what I found. If, you, if you're listening to the podcast on like an iPhone or, or an Android or something, you can download uh, a couple different podcast uh, players. Uh, Podbean is the one that my podcast is on, Podbean. Um, They have a free app that you can download to your phone and listen to it there, and that will allow you to click the the heart button to like every episode or whichever episodes you do like. Uh, Stitcher, by the way, Stitcher also has an app for the phone Unfortunately, Stitcher's app for the phone has nothing on there where you can click and like uh, an episode. 
however, if you go on stitcher.com and you've, you've signed up there, you can uh, give an episode five stars. The same thing with iTunes. You can, you can, I don't think you can like individual episodes, but you can give the podcast itself five stars. So uh, those just, just a little few tips there because I've been trying to get uh, more likes and it's been like pulling teeth and I couldn't figure out why. And now I find out that it's very difficult for people to hit a button and like it, especially if you're listening on a computer as opposed to on, on a iPad or iPhone. So um, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, this was the first Magic Detective short, and I hope you've enjoyed the episode. My name is Dean Carnegie, and we will see you next time on the Magic Detective Podcast. Take care.